I don't know if you were peeking while we were praying, but I about bet the dust up those steps. So um, if you saw that, it means you were peeking. So now you can't, in essence, tell anybody because you give away that you were peeking. Uh, but I did about take a gnarly spill right there. Um, so that would have been awesome. Um, anyway, this morning I want to get right to the text. Um, but I want, to add, I want to challenge you or guess, kind of set this idea before you. I want you to be able to sing to, sing to God despite the monster that's under your bed. Right? I want you to be able to sing to God despite the monster that's under your bed. Is it working all right? Okay. No, is the screen not? Yes? No? Great is thy faithfulness. Right? Come on. Is it working now? Maybe? No? 192.168.1.100? That's the one. Yes, it's 100. Sorry. That was my fault. Alright, so how do you sing to God despite the monster that's under your bed? I don't know if any of you remember the book um, by James Ho, that, that monster under your bed. I'm going to kind of just read just a few pages from it, kind of set the scene. The little boy, is lying in bed and he says, What if my foot slips over the edge while I'm asleep? He'll bite it off, that's what. I'm thinking I'll be in the middle of the bed and not move and stay awake all night. And somebody, that's where you are. The monsters have so created havoc in your life. That you are paralyzed right where you are. You're afraid to do this. You're afraid to do that. because, And the reality is you're losing sleep too. The monsters have created such chaos in your life. You can't sleep over what you're thinking about or what's constantly coming about. He says, why did I have to tell mom I was too old for a nightlight? I can't see anything in here. That's what often happens. When monsters show up in your life, they'll create all kinds of moments of havoc and confusion. And if you're not careful, your pride will keep you from telling anybody else about it. Your pride will keep you from asking for the nightlight. But look at this, another page of it. He says, did you feel that? That mattress jumped. I felt it right there under my leg. It went pop. There's a monster under my bed. Maybe there are three. Three slimy monsters sharpening their claws. Hear them? I'd better run. No, they'll grab me before I can get to the door. You ever feel it? Remember that moment like as kids? Some of you, it's maybe a little bit bigger kids, right? You remember that moment like you would hide, you were certain something was there. And so I don't know about you, but my, my go-to move was becoming invisible by pulling the sheets up over your head. And then no one could ever see you, right? And then what happens under the sheets? You suffocate, right? You've been there, you're like sweating. At some point, you're like, all right, they're just going to see me, right? You have to come out at some point. Some of you today, I'm calling you to come out. You've been hiding for so long. You've been dealing with monsters for so long. They have ruined and wreaked havoc in your life for so long. You say, Blake, what kind of monsters? Well, monsters come in all different names and sizes, don't they? Cancer. Divorce. That area of sin in your life. Fear. Despair. Anxiety. I'm sorry to have to tell you this, and then you hear that news, the phone ringing. I mean, monsters have all different names. They have different sizes, but the reality is they do the same thing. They paralyze us in the middle of the bed. We're terrified to tell anyone that we have an issue, and we're afraid to get up or do anything because the reality is we think it's only going to get worse. The monster's going to get us. So I want you to know today this, that if there are monsters in your, under your bed, and maybe there are monsters, maybe for some of you, let's be honest, they're in the bed next to you. They sleep down the hallway or you encounter them each day at work. You know too well what these monsters are. I want you to know today that in the midst, as a monster may have raged on in your life for days, weeks, or even years, that there's one that's greater than the monsters. There's one that can give you joy in the midst of dealing with the monsters that are under your bed and in your life. 
And his name is Christ. Now, don't confuse me. I'm not telling you that the monsters will necessarily leave and this is the magic wand and everything will show up tomorrow and it'll be better. But I want you to know there's hope, there's joy. So where do we get this? Let's turn now. Acts chapter 16. If you've been with us, we've been in the book of Acts. Remember Paul and Silas and the brothers, they have shown up in Philippi taking the gospel in response to this vision they had um, as God spoke to them. When they encountered verse 16, they came to the place of prayer. There was a spirit of divination, right? They were dealing with that. Um, The spirit demon-possessed slave girl was there. Said she followed them around for many days saying, These men are servants of the Most High God. They are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Remember, Paul, it says that he became greatly annoyed after he does this for many days. And he stands, he turns around and says, I command you or I adjure you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it says at that hour that the demon left and she was free. It says, verse 19, that our owner saw, this is kind of where we're headed today. Her owners, those that owned her, remember that she had made a lot of money. She was very profitable. We talked about that last week. And her, they saw that their hope of gain was gone. Verse 19 of Acts 16. They seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them in the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Verse 22 says, The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them. They gave order to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Sounds similar. So it was in Matthew 27 with Jesus of Nazareth. It says they released, verse 26 of Matthew 27, released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, presumably stripped and beaten almost unto death. And then they delivered him to be crucified. Verse 28 says further again, they stripped him similar to what we're seeing with Paul and Silas. They put the scarlet robe on him. They mock him. They spit on him. They hit him in the face. They strike him in the head with the reed, the staff that they put in there. The mocking, the laughing. But look what happened here with these guys. It says that they're there. Again, it's maybe a shadow of what Christ had experienced. They're experiencing these things. It says in verse 24 of Acts 16, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Maybe you've never experienced this kind of suffering, but you do know a little bit of what it was like to stand up for Jesus and your family. You know that it's cost you relationships in your family, maybe with children or grandchildren, or maybe it's with your mom or dad or a brother or sister. I know those feelings. I know those fears. In essence, even dealing with it recently, I've been praying, God, open the door for me. Let me know when to share and when not to. God, I I, I had a tendency to sometimes make a wreck of of relationships because I, I just... By people's own words, I drive, I may drive Jesus too hard and I push people away. So, Lord, I want to be sensitive to that. So maybe you've, you've experienced times when you've been kind of alienated or pushed away because of how you've stood for Christ or how you've gone about it. Have you ever wondered why has that happened? Or maybe you're wondering right here when you read this, you're thinking, okay. So Paul and Silas had a vision from God and God told them to go to Macedonia. They obeyed that. They show up there, they preach the gospel, they're telling people about Jesus, people are being saved, they even cast a demon out of this girl, that's a great thing. And now, this God who's done all this mighty work has allowed these guys to end up in prison, beaten, and now fastened in the inner stocks. Maybe you're wondering, why is this happening? Let Jesus explain it to you. John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. There's a lot of hatred going on. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Further, he says in verse 20 of John 15, Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will. doesn't say they might. They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you. Look what he says. On account of what? My name. Why did it happen? Remember what Paul said when the demon-possessed slave girl was continually following him? He says, I command you in the name of who? In the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. That's what Jesus had said. He said, listen, they will do these things on account of my name. When you, you, you walk in my name, you represent me, you hold fast to my word. He said, these things are going to happen. Why? Because, what he says, they don't know him. They don't know my father. And so Jesus is there telling us and explaining to you and I why these things are happening. So we should not be surprised when we see this happening with them here in the book of Acts. And let's be honest, as it starts to come to us in our our daily lives. So how do you handle it? How do you handle moments of difficult decisions? What do you do in those moments? How do you respond when things in your life are going hectic? Do you binge on TV or your favorite streaming show? Or do you go to your food or do you turn to to the bottle? Maybe it's vomiting up all of your feelings and emotions on your favorite social media so that everybody can know exactly. Maybe you're a person that's given to tirades, outbursts of anger, or maybe you're a stonewaller and you just silence everybody out. Let's be interested here today to look to see what do Paul and Silas do? How do they handle this moment of seemingly difficult situation and circumstances that maybe they didn't ask to be put in? Maybe they didn't desire to be in this moment. Look what it says they do, verse 25. It says, about midnight. About midnight, our boys, Paul and Silas, were praying and singing hymns to God. What? I mean, we may know the story, so you read over it like it's old hat, but the reality is it's not. This is something different than what, I'll be honest, the way I live. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Look what it says. They're praying and singing hymns to God. And what's always interesting is there's always other people listening and watching. There's always other people listening and watching. I mean, but it's a little bit surprising, right? How can these guys be praying and singing hymns to God? They've just been stripped. They've been beaten. They've been thrown into the inner cell. Unjustly, right? All they did is set someone free from demon possession. In fact, what you're going to see if you read through the remainder of Acts 16, we're going to get to in a week or so, is that they're Roman citizens. This is unlawful. They haven't even been tried fairly. This just does not seem right. And so in that moment, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but how are they having like this sanctified midnight concert between them and God? How do you sing those songs? Listen to what Charles Spurgeon, the great 1800s preacher, said. Any fool can sing in the day. It's easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight, but the skillful singer is he who can sing when there's not a ray of light to read by. Look what he says. Songs in the night. Come only from God. They're not in the power of men. What's Spurgeon doing? He's building off from Job chapter 35 verse 10. But none says, where is my God? Where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? I don't know about you, but let's be really honest. The reality is, I mean, you you may have been around people like that. You say, man, I just wish I had boldness like they have. If I could just pray more like she prays. If I had like the kind of joy that, that they have. I mean, if I had just joy maybe more like Lily. If I, mean, if I just had more of those moments. 
But to be honest, the reality is we, we, we say those things, but we probably don't mean it. Why? Because most of those folks, they've come to that boldness, that prayer, that joy, because they've been in some walking in the darkness. You see, those songs don't come in the daylight. You have to walk through the night. And the reality is nobody signs up for that school. Nobody wants to take classes in the darkness. Nobody wants to experience that phone call, that situation, that diagnosis, that end of the relationship, those financial struggles. We don't want that. But the Word of God is telling you and I and reminding us that those songs only come from experiencing those nights. Adrian Rogers, the great preacher who has now gone on to be with the Lord, who has impacted me a great deal, and I owe a, day, a great sense of gratitude and indebtedness forever for my preaching. Um, I remember, I'll never forget when he was preaching one time and I was listening, and he said, we, we have this tendency to say that at night the stars come out. He said, but that's not true at all. It just takes the darkness to see them. The stars are always out. It just takes the darkness to see them. So it is with this moment of despair, this moment of dealing with this. So I want you and I to realize tonight, that this morning, that only song, there are some songs that God will give to you and I, and we must go through that night. And how do we come to the place of not letting the night so consume us that we miss the song? Some of you are in the midst of the, of the darkness right now. You're in the midst of the night. And what I want to remind you is, be careful that you don't in such haste to get out of the darkness that you miss the song God's trying to teach you. Tune your ear, right, to heaven's melody, to heaven's harmony. So I want us this morning just to spend a little bit of time just looking at another passage here in the New Testament that speaks about this very same thing, about this praying, this singing hymns to God. It happens in Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to it. In Ephesians chapter 5, we hear these words as Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He says that we are to be addressing one another. Do you see that? How are we to address one another? He says, well, it's in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He says that we're singing and making melody, but look what he says. It's to the Lord. And then he says this statement. It's with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You hear that and you think, okay, what's the text telling us? Well, first and foremost, we hear that it's actually to the Lord. This isn't to anyone else. We're singing ultimately. We are glorifying the one that has pardoned us, the one that has set us free. Man, we have seen some deep, theologically rich moments this morning in worship through music. It is glorifying the Lord. Brother Todd, as he sang about tomorrow, I mean, I, literally, I was sharing the gospel. Brother Todd, you were sharing that. You don't know this. I, sh I shared with him that I had been talking with someone sharing the gospel. But literally, I'm sharing the gospel with some individuals this past week. Um, and we're talking. And you know, what they, you know what they tell me about it? I said, hey, listen, you, you, need, you need to get your life right with Christ. You need to repent. You need to look to Him. There's freedom. It's not only about just going to heaven when you die. There's a freedom here and now. There's a joy. There's an empowerment. As the Spirit of God teaches you to say no to unrighteousness and yes to righteousness. You know what the response came back to me? Tomorrow. I will soon. It's the same response I heard in the middle of the rainforest in Costa Rica. Same exact response. Hiked eight hours to see this guy. Probably never heard the gospel before. I'm not sure if he's heard it since. Same thing. Share the gospel, pour it out to him. Manana, tomorrow. Some of you, the reminder is tomorrow's not going to come. Jesus said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Some of you, it's today, it's now, it's time. So it's to the Lord. But look what else it says there. It's not only to the Lord. He says it's with your heart. Right? They're addressing one another. It's impacting others. But the question becomes there, how does this happen with your heart? See that statement? That's the one that really stood out to me. How does this happen with your heart? 
It's easy to sing songs with your heart when things are going right and your life's going good and, and everything's unicorns and rainbows. and it, It's seemingly just great. It's all buffet all the time, everything you like. But how do you sing to God with your heart when you're in the dungeon? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Don't get drunk with wine, he says. The wine's not going to do it, for that's debauchery. But then he makes this very powerful statement. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. I want you and I to see how being filled with the Spirit will begin to transform your relationships. Being filled with the Spirit here in verse 18 is transform—it's it's, it's a transformation for you and I that we can begin to do in the midst of darkness. We can actually praise God with our heart. Like this it can be actually our desire, our joy, our passion, our want to. The Spirit of God filling you can empower you in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of hard times. And look what it does. Ephesians 5.18 literally sets the course for so much of what Paul's getting ready to say in the remainder of Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6. All right, just a couple of things I want to pull from it. First, look what he says here. As he says, be filled with the Spirit. He says, verse 22 now, Ephesians 5. He says, wives. Look what he says to them. Submit to your own husbands. Again, he says to them later, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Further with me. Husbands, love your wives. How? How do we do this? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. So that's what it means for husbands to be the head. It means that you're the first one to die. You're the first one. It's a military term. Literally, you are out front. You're walking in front. You're leading by example of laying your own life down. Let's be honest. As we look at this now in context, being filled with the Spirit, we realize that if you try to do this in your own power, and your own strength, it's never going to happen. In your own strength, and in your own power, there's no lady that wants to submit to any man. There's no man that can lay down his life to love her as Christ loved the church. That's why you and I need the Spirit. Today, as we look at Paul and Silas' situation, we're reminded, listen, there's going to be moments in life, maybe in your marriage, when it's a little bit easier to love that person and for wives to submit and husbands to, to lay their lives down. But, like, what do you do, ladies, when he's a jerk, like, over and over and over and over again? And the monster's not under your bed, but he's in it. Fellas, how are you going to love her and lay down your life for her when you don't even like her and you can't even appreciate her and you haven't had meaningful conversation or much of anything meaningful for months. You want to know the answer to that? When you and I find ourselves imprisoned and in a dungeon like Paul and Silas, we must be filled with the Spirit, brothers and sisters. The Spirit's power will give you the strength to do what your flesh hates. Your flesh will not want to love your spouse that way. Your flesh will say, don't you die to yourself. They don't deserve that. You're right, and neither did you deserve what He did for you on the cross. So He is always your example. Christ is always your empowerment. That's what the Scripture is teaching us. And that's where Paul and Silas reminded us. Guess what? The same power, the same Spirit that was filling Paul and Silas in that prison is the same power and the same Spirit that can fill you to love your spouse again, even though you believe it's not possible. The Spirit of God filling you. But not only does it, the Spirit of God in us transform our marriages. Look what else he says. Again, this is just so important. Verse 1 of Ephesians 6. Children. Kiddos. Look what it says. 
Ephesians 6, 1, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, or this pleases the Lord. And then he quotes the Old Testament passage there of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This pleases the Lord. Now listen, that's easy when mom and dad are just dishing out the dough and they're on board for everything that's going for you. But what happens the first moment they tell you, you're not staying out that way? Kiddos, what happens the first time they tell you that you can't hang out with them anymore? What happens the first time or the third time or the 50th time when they walk in your room and say, turn the video games off, put your phone down, and start on your homework? I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Your flesh is going to hate it and revolt. Your flesh inside of you is going to say, you're not the boss of me. Who do you think you are? You can't tell me what to do. Why? Because it's easy. When it's all Main Street and Broadway and the parade's going down. But boy, you find your moment in that prison, in that dungeon, when you feel locked in and confined and you think, who are you to say this to me? You know what children need? They need to be filled with the Spirit. Children need the Spirit of God. You see, it's a common theme. He's laying it out for us. He's saying, you want to know what's going to transform children? Not more rules. You can't keep it, Mom and Dad, yourself. Your babies need Jesus Christ indwelling them by the power of the Holy Spirit. But look what else happens here. Look what else he says. Again, we're dealing with this Paul and Silas in prison. How are they singing and praising God in the midst of all they're going through? There's the power of the Spirit on their lives. But look here again what we have. Now he says fathers and and undoubtedly mothers as well. But fathers are called to lead. He says fathers. Again, when he says, look, he says, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Can I give you some really good advice from someone that's had six years? Yeah, tons of experience. Here's, here's the best piece of advice I'll give you. You're going to make a big mess of it. And you probably have, and your kids know it. So here's my advice. You and your kids walk to Jesus together. And say, hey, listen, I'm always telling you about how much you need the Spirit and how you should have done this or that. I want you to know that the way I talked to you or the way I just dealt with Mommy did not reflect Jesus Christ. And so the same Jesus that I'm telling you that you need, guess what? I need Him too. And I talked to you in anger a while ago, and I should not have done that. I've blown up and lost it. So as parents, guess what? If we're not to provoke our children, if we are to discipline them and instruct them in the way that God's called them to do, guess what we need? The Spirit of God! Because it's going to be hard. Your kids are going to wear you out. They're going to stress you. Some of you, listen, I know you're there. You're in the midst of the prison right now. You're dealing with it. How are you going to do this? The Spirit's empowerment to give you the song in the night. So the Spirit transforms marriages. It transforms moms and dads' relationship with kiddos. But the Spirit of God's work's not finished. Look what he says here in verse 5 of, again, Ephesians chapter 6. Bond servants. What is the Greek word? Doulos. We get the word slave or servant from it. He says, obey your earthly masters. Now, we might translate this for a moment and kind of apply it to our context a little bit more. Think about this in relationship with those that are over you in authority. Maybe employers and bosses. And others, look what he says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. And this right here is a very penetrating moment. Not by the way of eye service. I was the king of that, man. I had a cubicle when I was there in Lexington. I was working. And any time I thought maybe the boss was coming that way, you know what I'd do? I'd flip those internet screens down and all that. and be like, <laughs> Right? Some of you are there. You work hard when your boss is watching. He says, listen, don't do that because that's simply becoming, look what he says, a people pleaser. 
You are a bond servant of Christ and do the will of God from the heart. How does the heart happen? You, employee, must be filled with the Spirit. Some of you, God's put you in charge of others and you, in essence, function kind of as the boss, the CEO, the master. Look what it says to you. It's really simple. Do the same to them. Why? Knowing that the one who's their master is also yours in heaven. He says, don't forget, big boy, big girl. You think you wear the title of CEO, boss. You run the ship. Don't forget, there's a chief coming. There's the big, big daddy boss that's coming. And you're going to give an account. So you better love them as he loves you. How's that going to happen? By being filled with the Spirit. It's a transformation of everything you and I have seen. And listen, some of you live with some nasty people in your job site. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit is the only way. For you to love them, to serve them, to do what only the Spirit can empower you to do. And look what happens here. It says as they're praying and singing hymns to God there in that midnight hour, this midnight concert that's broken out in the prison. It says suddenly, verse 26 of Acts 16, there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prisons were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. The chains came off. But mark it clear. We have no recording from the text of Paul and Silas asking God for an earthquake. We don't. What we do have them doing is saying that God, right now in the midst of my circumstances, you're more than enough. You're still good. You're still God alone. You're still worthy of praise, despite the fact that maybe we haven't done anything to deserve this. God, I didn't ask to be in a marriage like this. God, I didn't choose to be in a job like this. God, I didn't pick them as my parents. I didn't pick them to be my kids and act like this. Maybe you're right there. And you're dealing with that and wondering. And let's be honest, Satan is whispering stuff in your ear. He's challenging you. Like, well, if God really loved you, why would he allow this to happen? If God's so powerful, then why are you in the midst of this dungeon and prison that you're in? And if you're not careful, that voice is going to drive you away from the cross rather than to it. So you and I must begin to realize that only God can provide the earthquakes. And it's God's timing of when He provides the earthquakes. And He may want the people around you to listen a little bit longer. Are you okay with that? And I'm telling you, that takes a lot of grace. That God might keep you in that dungeon, that prison a little bit longer. Because there's a few more prisoners that need to hear that. That's hard. But the empowerment of the Spirit makes it possible. That even in the prison, even the dungeon, even the things that you're facing right now that you would wish would go away, the monster under your bed, God's still worthy of your praise. The Spirit can empower you to keep on singing, to keep on praising Him. Because it reminds us there is another way. It's the power of the Spirit to do this. And you're saying, Blake, how can I be sure? How can I be sure that this is true, Blake? Make this certain for me. How do I know this is true? I'll leave you with this. The reason or the certainty that you and I can know that God's going to be faithful to empower you to keep on praying, to keep on singing, to keep on loving, that He's going to be with you, that He's going to hear you, is because on the cross, when Jesus Christ became your sin, He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you want to know why He was forsaken? So that you would never know that. He was forsaken so that in your prison, you'll never know that. You'll never experience being forsaken. 
Now, it may feel that way. It may seem that way for long periods of time. The monsters can rage. But you can have certainty that in the midst of your dungeon and prisons, there's a God who promises, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, for my son has paid your debt, and I am faithful. I will be with you. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So I don't know what your prison is. I don't know what your dungeon is. I don't know what your monster under the bed is for you. But there's one that's greater than your monster. His name is Jesus and He was forsaken and He was denied the response of the Father that you would never know for this life and for all eternity what it means to be forsaken by God. You will never know and experience that. If there's nothing else today in the midst of your prison, in the midst of your, your entrapment, the chains that are around you, you ought to fall to your knees and say, Oh God, thank You. Thank You for Christ who's experienced that for me. Who took that for me. It will lead you by the power of the Spirit in you to begin singing and praising God. I hope and pray you will. Do you know Christ today? Maybe you're in the midst of the dungeon, the prison. You haven't experienced the power yet. I want you to know it's to be found nowhere else. It's the same place that Lily found it. It's the same place that Saul of Tarsus found it. It's the same place that Peter found it. It's the same place that maybe those that are in Christ and your family have found it. Others in this building have found it. It is only the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that could set you free. It's only the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that could pay your sin debt that was forsaken that you will never have to be. You are free and now filled with the Spirit if you will repent and confess Him as your Lord and Savior. Today, would you respond? In the midst, listen, here's the good thing about God. You know what Job says? From the pit I cried out. Job says, I made a collect call from the pit. And he says, you know what happened? God answered the phone. He said, I'll pay this debt. And he said that God heard me and he answered. Job called from the pit. Today, in your pit, in your dungeon, in your chains... Would you call out to God and say, God, free me. Father, free me. Set me free. Jesus promises that everyone who sins, He says, is a slave to sin. Verse 34 of John 8. But if the Son has set you free, you are what? Free indeed. Free indeed. Do you know it? Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, speak to people. Only Your Word, God, is sufficient. God, I am inept in and of my own ability. But Lord, I trust now the same Spirit that filled Paul and Silas will move and fill those in this room who will repent and believe on Jesus Christ. Father, I pray now for those in this, this room, God. They are, there are people in this room and around us, Lord, that are in the midst of, of, of dungeons, Lord. They feel like their feet are fastened in the stalks and there's no hope. Lord, I pray that you would come to them and give them a song in the night. God, strengthen those who only by your wisdom, you know how much longer, how much longer, O oh, sovereign Lord, they cry out to you, judge, that have deserved and avenge our blood. You said, wait a little while longer. Lord, I, I don't know how longer it will be for those here. I can't promise them a fairy's wand, but I can promise them your faithfulness in the midst of their prison. God, may you give them strength right now to love their wives and their husbands as never before. Father, may your spirit come upon our children today that they will begin to be obedient to their parents because you have called them to and your spirit is filling them to accomplish it. Father, for us as parents who have totally blown it, God, give us, strip our pride away, God. Let us go to our kids and just say, I'm sorry, I messed it up. I need Jesus just like you do. God, transform employees and employers. Again, only by your spirit, God, can any of this happen. 
Lord, let your people not only hear your word, but I pray they will respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in your name I pray, Lord. Amen.